your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solo. All right, welcome to a Monday. That's the one day of the week. Well, Monday and Friday. I know what days after that. I don't know. Uh, welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solo. In the studio with me is Wisconsin State Senator Brad Paff. Hey, Rick. Uh, hi, uh, District 32, and uh, covering. I guess like the greater lacrosse area, the greater, but it's lacrosse the greater, area. greater and lacrosse. It's lacrosse and the greater area. All the way down to Prairie du Chien, up to the Black River, at 88 miles or so, north to south. But hey, we got sunshine. It's nice to have yeah, sunshine. Yeah, now that it's nice out, do you just jog your district? <laughs> just I wish. Jog around. Boy, <laughs> I so need huge. to. I need to. You get I'll jealous you. like some of the... Uh, some of the well, Senate districts are pretty big in general, right? Geographically, they're big, but boy, I need to get some steps. I'll tell you, <laughs> get, to, get your Fitbit on. Oh yeah, that's um, for sure. Yeah, did you? And and you didn't get. We didn't get any snow here. I was on the <laughs> other side of the state, and I had like a foot of snow. And yeah, I, I, I woke was, up on was, Saturday morning, and people told me Madison had you know eight nine inches or whatever, Green Bay fourteen, and they can have it. Yeah, and now it's all—it's probably all. Well, at my parents because I went home for the weekend. Parents pretty pretty close to. It's now just wet sock weather when you walk the dogs, yeah. uh, you, you, and you forget. You're like, oh, I don't want to put the boots on because it's kind of annoying to put boots on. And then you start. You get like a quarter of the way into the walk, and you have wet feet, and you're like, oh. Ugh. But the dogs, the dogs don't care. That's right. The dogs them. okay. No, the, I I am definitely sick of uh, winter. I am ready for spring. Right. For this sure. is kind of like the. The best and worst, like winter is awful. In February, when it's like Christmas is over and New Year's, and and then right. kind of you get in the doldrums of February, and it's still cold and snowy, and then it's really awful. And then spring comes, you kind of get uplifting, and then that weekend, if you're on the other side of the state, they, comes and you're like, yeah. But then today comes, and it's like 45, it's nice. and, and we're like, woohoo! Right. It's March. <laughs> it's it like is happy March. time, but March is. My most annoying month because that's right. It's muddy out all the time. It's so you muddy. You think out. you can go and do stuff outside, and you can't. You really can't. You can't. March is a difficult month. I agree with you. I agree. But do, hey, we do, had some good high school basketball in the area for March. Yeah. Of that. Do farmers hate March or do they sure love they do. March? Is no. March like the worst because they don't care about the cows tracking the barn? Right yeah. Now. Well, what happens is is that you know you need to get your cows up and out and about, and of course in the winter. Um, you know, it's so icy. Uh, so, you know, March, you can get a good reprieve. You can get your cows out where they can st- uh, stretch their legs and exercise and actually uh, try and get some type of, uh, you know, comfort back in their life because, you know, they've been just so cooped up for so long uh, in these stanchion barns. But Do uh, cows not, I guess, I feel like cows go outside in the winter or not really because there's, is it too hard for them to navigate around? It's or? the ice. It's the ice. You're very, very nervous about the ice because oh, okay. the cows are can't really handle themselves on the you, ice, and they could slip easily. And boy, you just got to go snow blow a nice pasture. We down do. Some, <laughs> yeah. some salt on the trail. Exactly. Now, some of these larger, you know, different, larger scale operations, they do have freestall barns where it's year round, in which cows, you know, are. You know, they can get some exercise. It's kind of like in a bar. You can and, mingle around. You can mingle and around, <laughs> and they've got, you know, sand bedding and stuff like that. And some farmers claim it's almost like, you know, the cows are living on a beach because uh, they live on sand. I saw a video yesterday of a cow. Okay, so you have the trough where they're eating out of, mm-hmm. and there's a cow, like, in in the trough, like, <laughs> laid down. And you think, oh, God, you think the worst because you can only right. see its butt. And you get up there, and it's laying on its side, and it's got its tongue out, and it's eating off eating. the side of its yeah. mouth. And the guy's like, because right. the guy recording, the farmer recording, he's like, oh, no. Oh, no. 
He's like, wait a minute. You know, and then right. he yells at the cow, and the cow jumps up and gets out of the trough. But it's literally just laying sideways in the trough, eating out of the side of its mouth with its big, long tongue. Um, and, yeah, bring up farming because you, you do have uh, some responsibilities within the state Senate when it comes to agriculture. Right. right. Yeah, we do. I mean, let's never forget, Wisconsin is America's dairy land. It's more than just, obviously, a slogan that uh, we say or, you know, something that we carry on our license plate. Instead... Uh, you know, America's dairy land is Wisconsin. The thing is, is we produce an awful lot of the nation's milk. We lead the nation when it comes to cheese. Uh, you know, milk has paid the bills for an awful lot of families in this state. It's paid the taxes. It's helped build these local economies. And I think the, uh, the best days of agriculture are still ahead. I realize it's changed an awful lot. These smaller scale dairy farms, you know, continue to struggle. Uh, but the thing is, is it produces a lot of high-quality people out there, uh, a lot of good values. Uh, people come from the farm, have good work ethic, and, uh, you know, I'm proud to be from the farm, and uh, I will always work for our farmers, and I want to find new markets for their products. And, of course, you know, I think the great thing about what we've got right now is uh, America likes melted cheese, and we have a lot of cheese in this state. And- oh, my girlfriend's sister, they live in, she's from here, but they live in Cleveland now. So when they come home, they literally bring a giant cooler they want and cheese. they just go to the store and load it with cheese. Yeah. And then if we visit them in Cleveland, like their fridge is full of like uh, the cheese Wisconsin that they brought home. Cheese. So, yeah. Um, I feel like you gotta, we gotta promote that a little bit. We well, do. A way to, you know, like, like cheese drops. We just, you know, like <laughs> if, if somebody out in, in Portland needs, you know, we'll, right. we'll send them. There's got to be a nice, easy way to, to have companies just, just do the cheese. cheese. I know, yeah. like I know they're shipping. It's just fun. It's a funny concept to think like, but people just I feel like some people just don't know. They when, don't know because they they live in Cleveland now, right? Yeah. Cheese is awful. Like they right. they're they like just they don't can't realize. even get it. They just stock up like exactly. three times a year. They're at home. Oh, so it's people just, just don't even know. They don't. Yeah, they don't recognize how good it really is and what we've got unless you go somewhere else. And I'll tell you, we hear all, I hear all the time from grocers in other parts of the country that they want more Wisconsin dairy products. And then I hear from our dairy farmers saying, you know, you know why can't we do a better job of marketing our products? So we, there's still work that needs to be done as far as marketing and distributing Wisconsin products. And, uh, you know. Uh, I know we fought last time about what is milk. And I'm not a big fan of just milk because I'll drink, I'll drink the other right. stuff that you don't call right. milk. Um, but. But cheese, like I think there's there, there's some controversy with milk, but somehow cheese gets the scapegoat there because I think everyone likes pizza. Yeah. So I think m- maybe we need to, not America's dairy land, but America's cheese land or something yeah. like that. I, might so be two I, Packers as you're wearing your Packers. Yeah, vest. I'm wearing my Packer uh, vest here. But yeah, I I hear you on that. I'll tell you, I have legislation, and you know, I am who I am. But I have legislation that makes it very clear uh, that milk does not come from a plant it comes from a a dairy animal or an animal that uh, produces milk i also have legislation that says meat does not come from a petri dish it actually comes from you know an animal so, so when, when we call it almond milk you don't want it to call it call it almond milk but when we what is it then when we call it plant-based meat i don't even because i don't yeah, see the it, fake meat a lot just saying meat right like right, a, and, and I, every once in a while there's like chicken nuggets and you kind of look and you're like wait what Right. And so, it's, it's about the branding. It's about the branding and it's about the, uh, um, you know, making sure that consumers do, you know, are knowledgeable about what, what they are purchasing. I'm all for having consumer choice and I want to make sure our consumers can choose whatever they want, but they should, um, you know, they should not be fooled in what, 
what they're purchasing. If they want to have a plant-based beverage that's made out of almond, good for them. Uh, if they're interested in having some type of uh, protein uh, that comes from a Petri dish, that's their choice. Uh, I know that uh, I love a cheeseburger, and I will have my protein uh, and my dairy together. Yeah, I because uh, I kind of laugh at the idea that someone that buys almond milk doesn't understand that almond milk isn't cow's milk. Like, it's just to me. But I will say, when it comes to meat, sometimes the meat packaging can be confusing <laughs> And you're like, wait a minute. Oh, these chicken nuggets are like not chicken nuggets or something <laughs> right. like that or nuggets with a Z or some stupid stuff. Um, all right. I, when we come back, we got to take a break here. But um, I want to stick with this this thing in a, for a little bit. The We we did cheese legislation. Yes, we have. Last, last yes, session about do. the state cheese. I want to bring get your opinion on that. And then um, UW Lacrosse political science professor Tregoski and I on Fridays, the last two Fridays, have – have brought up something kind of related to the state cheese that I want to I want to float with float to you. We'll be back with Brad Paff. We're taking requests with State Senator Brad Paff for our next song, bumper music. Uh, I but love Tom Petty. Got to be a, in this genre, though. I think or con- like we we did yeah. country music a couple times ago. I do. Like Who did my, we do? Like the old school. Uh, we did. Who did we do? We did Hank Williams Jr. Hank Williams. That, that's like. I guess he's kind of old school, but not. 70s and 80s. Yeah. Um, yeah, State Senator Brad Paff sitting in the studio with me. We're, we're kind of talking about, you're on some kind of egg committee, right? Yes, I'm the ranking member on the Senate Agriculture Committee. Okay, and, and last week was Egg Week, but is right. there a federal egg policy coming out? Or, or are we, we debating this? Yes. And is that something that you really look into, and does the state do its own kind of egg policy? Well, we do as a state, but quite frankly, the federal government every five years does what's called the Farm Bill. It's a five-year Farm Bill, okay. and it's the House and Senate Agriculture Committees that put that together. And the major po- uh, components of that is the uh, nutrition uh, component, uh, as well as uh, conservation, uh, crop insurance, providing insurance for uh, you know, crops that are grown, and um, you know, making sure that we've got a um, agriculture trade policy. Those are the major components of a farm bill. Uh, is that coming up? Is yes. Is that expiring yeah. pretty that's soon? That's right now. Every five years. So Every that's year. like, when is it due? Do you well, know? it's so they, they got off base. It, it was supposed to be every five years starting in you know, 75, 80, 85, yeah. 90. But now they're doing the farm bill in 2023. Okay. twenty. So it's going to be done this year sometime. Right. They're working on it right now. So a year, because what I'm thinking is like a year before like a, a presidential establishment right. comes in. So, like, you're going to establish this thing for five years, five but years. the next regime, possibly, if Biden potentially could you know, change it, but, right? So, yeah. but it, what it, it almost, does is it authorizes authorizes different programs, spending programs, and it sends market signals as well uh, to the marketplace, um, and that's why it's an important bill because again, you don't want to send the wrong signals to the marketplace, uh, but at the same time, you need to have, uh, you know, there are it's important to make sure that uh, you know our farmers in the countryside recognize the fact that uh, you know when the market prices go up and market prices go down there's still going to be you know some type of trade policy that's put in place uh, that they can sell their their uh, crops uh, you know to uh, different manufacturers and um, and uh, different processors and that will make their uh, peanuts into peanut butter and make their milk into uh, 
uh, butter. And uh, Are you just throwing butter out there? So I'm I just read throwing this text. it out there. I'm going to read this text. All right. So we were arguing about almond milk. What is milk, right? And you have a – I think, I think Van Orden has legislation in the House – does too kind of similar to this did, did he copy your work there well <laughs> I, i've done my stuff in the past and of course i i am always appreciative that others are interested in it that's good so and i what the fda kind of ruled that almond FDA. milk can call itself milk that's that correct was kinda, or yeah. and i say almond but oat milk soy milk right plant-based can call yeah, plant-based it something. Milk. Yeah. um all right so a texter got, uh, shoot me a text um he said uh let's see here it was sarge uh, he said, "If we can't have almond butter, does that mean we can't have peanut butter?" So you're you're defining what milk is when it comes to you can't That's say right. you can't call it almond milk because it ain't milk. Call it you know almond milk substitute or something like That's that, right. or call it milk with a C or, or CK or That's something. Right. Um, so Sarge brings up a good point. Are we going to start legislation here on peanut butter? Can't be called peanut butter because it's not butter. It's from right. the, it's a spreadable. Now I, I hear him. It is a good point, and my my comment on that is this: is that uh, you do not find regular butter and peanut butter on the same store shelf. You know, one is a refrigerator product, and the other one is a dry product. I would argue uh, that almond milk's in a whole other section of the. Well, they have store, done a better job recently moving things around because it used to be where they were side by side yeah. uh, in the store, and you know consumers would would comment on that. What's happened is this. Is that the and I'll I'll be absolutely upfront with you, uh, the American dairy industry, the family dairy farmer, has um, paid to develop a brand. They have created a brand, and it's you know, uh, you know milk. Uh, it does a body good type stuff. Yeah. And the thing is, is that now we have a plant based industry that's coming in trying to capture um, the name, image, and likeness. Uh, of this. Oh, now and, you're using college NIL stuff. And they're doing that. <laughs> and uh, what's happened so is... So you put in all the work and then Almond Milk swoops almond in and milk takes it. Almond comes in and takes it. And of course, everybody's trying to compete for uh, the consumer. And of course, my whole thing is, is that I believe consumers should have the right to make their own decisions. Obviously, I just want to make sure they've got the information um, and there's not any type of uh, uh, misperception that takes place out there. I also firmly believe that... Um, you know, it's we need we need to make sure that uh, you know in Wisconsin, recognizing it's the largest part of our state's economy, that um, you know that our our dairy industry is not being you know artificially harmed. We we always talk about the 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 family farm. We're losing farms, all mm-hmm. dairy farms anyway. We are. Um, what what is the biggest cause for that? Is it people people aren't drinking as much milk? Is it uh, these bigger farms? You know, the the farms. I guess consolidated in one huge farm, and then we, we factory farms essentially, like factory dairy farms. No, or- the, the biggest the biggest cause, quite, and there's a lot of causes, but the biggest cause, without a doubt, is technology. Uh, you know, a machine today can do um, what you know would take you know two or three you know humans fifty, sixty years ago to be able to do. Uh, we have tractors and we have plows and we have equipment that are you know five times, ten times larger than anything that our grandparents ever had. Um, so, and we have genetics now and we have food and nutrition for our dairy animals, uh, that, uh, well exceeds anything that our forefathers, uh, had, you know, when they were on the family maybe to, farm. Maybe to our, as people, our detriment, like some uh, of this it's, stuff, right? Yeah. So what happens is, is, you know, we, you know, we've got, uh, we produce more milk in this state today than we ever have in our state's history. We produce more milk. We produce more high quality 
consumer products that people are looking Dairy for. Products, yeah. All these different flavors of cheeses that people are looking for. Flavors so, of milk, too. I saw flavors of milk. milk. Yeah, root, exactly. root beer milk, I think I yeah. saw the other day. All of that is available now. <laughs> and consumers obviously like it. But the thing is, it's technology that's the primary focus. Uh, but what, what we, you know, recognizing what that means here for Western Wisconsin is, you know, we still have these rural school districts, and these are important school districts. We need to make sure, obviously, that, you know, it, you know, what are we going to do to replace that economic impact that that family farm had in a rural area? You know, if, if there's if if there's no longer that family farm there, um, sure, somebody may be plowing the field and planting corn or soybeans on that, but there's no longer a taxpayer living in a house and sending their children to school there. So what happens? How do we figure all of that out? And those are hard, hard conversations. And so we talk about, you know, trying to reinvest in our rural communities. And that's why broadband is such an important conversation. That's why transportation, having good roads and good bridges, because people want to live in a rural areas. They want to be able to go hunting, you know, outside, spend some time uh, in the outdoors. Maybe they have a, uh, a four-wheeler or a snowmobile and they want to be outside. And the thing is, is that, it's just to make sure that we can continue to keep a uh, rural economy uh, uh, going, and that's so very important. But, you know, I obviously want to make sure that, uh, you know, consumers have choices on the products they buy, too, at the grocery store. A lot of times I hear that the dairy farms just convert into meat farms, essentially, mm-hmm. like the cattle is. Didn't, does your. Yeah. So what happened is this. I mean, it, it's happened time and time again. You drive down the countryside, you see all these small little Norman Rockwell looking uh, farms with the uh, house and the barn and the silos and these smaller little outbuildings in which they used to raise either chickens or calves or pigs. And none of that is any longer there. Um, or what you see is that there's no there's no profit in doing that anymore because right? there's a factory farm down the road that's there there's you know so what's happened is there's been a specialization that's taking place you know the hog farms are now hog farms chicken farms are now chicken farms dairy farms are dairy farms there's not this old mcdonald type mentality like old mcdonald had yeah. a farm and they had so much of this and so much of that it's very rare that we have that instead you know it's very specialized and, and people you know really are good at what they do they can produce high quality uh, pork products, high-quality chicken product, and a high-quality dairy product, without a doubt. I would argue that we could produce high. I don't know about the quality sometimes. Some of that stuff scares me, honestly. Like, if it's not, uh, you know, non-GMO or, or uh, naturally raised, like cattle, uh, grass-fed, stuff like that, then mm-hmm. some of that stuff. Because, you know, some, oh, look at how cheap this hamburger is. It's two fifty a pound. And mm-hmm. then there's always, why is it two fifty a pound? That's a little scary sometimes. Yeah, and that's a fair point. And that's why you have these cons- Super choices, and so what we've seen, and so you ask about how these uh, smaller farms or smaller scale farms, how are they doing it? And many times they do it, what you just said, they call it value added, and they become grass based or they become organic. Organic, uh, that was the word. You know, I that's think that's of. where they they move towards. I say they and, should all become asparagus farms, even they, though the season for asparagus is like a month. <laughs> well, and then some, if you laugh, but there are some that uh, you know are doing just that. They're putting up uh, hoop houses or greenhouses, and they're doing year round because the desire for you know uh, fresh uh, vegetables year round is, is, is there, so important. Is there a system there where the state? Or maybe the feds come in and go, okay, your dairy farm isn't you're like it, it's non sustainable anymore. But if you are going to open a greenhouse or do like other vegetables where you would produce those for consumers, mm-hmm. is there like 
subsidies in that for the state, or now, they, it's just on them? Huh? No, it's on them. I mean, obviously, you know, the University of Wisconsin Extension can provide the assistance, but largely the bankers are there. Uh, your private lender will tell you when you're making it or when you're not, and your private lender is, will. Is it that hard to? I mean, it's got to be difficult then if you're not raising because dairy, because you could say like there's oh, a lot yeah. of machines that could do that. You're growing carrots. And beans, you gotta go pick those. I don't you gotta like go pick those. <laughs> and the, yeah, you really do. But the thing is, if you have a market, if you have a market uh, for it, and again, there's a real desire for it. Well, is there a way to do this to promote this? This is sure. This is we where do what we need to like. We, we well, do Wisconsin. It. Also, we only could grow crap for so long, you right? Know, well, and that's we why we've got. We need to talk about you know like these uh, uh, hoop houses and these greenhouses, and you know figuring out how to grow it seasonal hydroponics, uh, hydroponics, like that, yeah. all of that. And the thing is, is this where we get into like carbon footprints? Obviously, you know we get a lot of our vegetables out of, uh, the, out of yeah, California, from, from, or, from course, Mexico or from or Mexico, or from Mexico, and wherever, it's yeah. all being you know uh, flown in here, or shipped in here, or trucked in here. And so, you know, this is the kind of conversation that's, that, that's taking place. And and uh, you know, private business people are trying to figure this out all the time. Is it cheaper in order to retrofit uh, an existing facility and turn it into a year-round? A greenhouse or hydroponics rather than uh, milking cows in that facility and can we do this cheaper um, and provide a reliable supply of lettuce or carrots uh, to our wholesaler uh, then they can do it in California and those are questions that are being asked there's no no better lesson than picking potato bugs as Ooh. a 10 year old for Ooh. a penny a bug <laughs> <laughs> alright we'll be back All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the text and talk line, the talk and text line. State Senator Brad Pass sitting in here for, in studio for the hour as he does every month. Except next month, Brad, I'm going to be gone the last oh. week of April. So we'll have to All right, we'll have to reschedule. <laughs> um, and we were talking about, uh, we are just talking about farming. I, I give you a, a kind of a, hey, what do you want to talk about, Brad? And and then I go, I kind of want to talk about this and that. And the, the late state legislature was pretty busy last week. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we go off the list for That's the all right. entire, I love this. entire show. And I think Kevin Kevin's on the on the line here, and he's he's going to kind of stick with what we were talking about a little bit, just to, in terms of like farm farmland. What do we do with it when mm-hmm. you know when it's it's maybe no longer a farm? Kevin, go ahead. You're on with Brad. Okay, cool. Hey, Brad. Um, I've uh, I've been in lacrosse for a long time. I'm 65 years old, and I remember back uh, quite a while ago where the federal government and the states um, were providing uh, what they called conservation reserve program monies, and yep. uh, it was designed to um, help ranchers and farmers um, set some of their land aside um, and, and let it go kind of feral, and, and it was designed to increase uh, wildlife production, whether it was pheasants or deer or ducks or whatever. And uh, and and we saw dramatic, and I'm talking about back in the uh, '80s, um, and we saw a dramatic increase in the number of wildlife, uh, and we and we all and and it also had the side effect, a good side effect of uh, reducing um, water runoff, and and uh, because the farmers were having some of their ditches and their and their um, fields that uh, that were not all that productive. Um, go go into uh, wildlife production, and uh, it was, I think it was good for for everything. And then uh, when that ended, then farmers and ranchers started um, growing crops fence row to fence row, and you know cutting all the wildlife habitat down. 
I'm interested in your thoughts about, uh, and I, I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but maybe reinstituting some of that uh, conservation reserve set-aside program monies, and uh, that's got to come from someplace, but, uh, you know, allowing farmers to, to, to make some money off, off land that maybe might not be ultra or super productive for crops, but really good for wildlife. Thanks for the call, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. And I agree with you. I completely agree with you. In fact, the Conservation Reserve Program is still in place. It's through the U.S. Department of Agriculture Farm Service Agency. And it is exactly like Kevin described. It is the uh, highly erodible land. uh, And it is uh, land that is not very productive. And rather than having uh, a farmer try and... um, you know, plow ground like that or try and grow a, a crop like corn or soybeans on there, that that land can be uh, set aside then. And there's a rental rate that is paid uh, from the USDA Farm Service Agency to that landowner. Kevin also mentioned something that I strongly support, and that is what's called buffer strips. And that is you take, uh, you know, 50 uh, feet or 100 feet or even 250 feet near a stream bank and uh, rather than going right up with the uh, plow next to that stream bank, that uh, you pull it back 250 feet, and you create a buffer strip. And so what happens there is is that it, you don't have the erosion from the soil that would go into the creek uh, or the stream. And at the same time, it's it's excellent when it comes to uh, uh, to wildlife, migratory uh, waterfowl as well. Uh, this is something that here in the Driftless region, you know, our farmers have been doing for uh, quite some time. And, in fact, uh, people may not realize it, but much of the uh, United States Department of Agriculture Soil Conservation Service efforts were uh, first, uh, they first studied uh, the Coon Creek Initiative down in Coon Valley, Wisconsin in the 1930s and saw what was happening there. And uh, uh, they made sure to put in place uh, some policies nationwide that replicated what our farmers were doing as far as creating contour strips and recognizing that, uh, you know, we just can't uh, plow from top to bottom of the hill instead we've got to you know work around it through a contour method and uh and it, it protects the uh soil and uh it keeps the land in place um and uh at the same time we can continue to be productive in agriculture so thank you kevin how big of a dilemma is when we talk about runoff and this yeah. might be a little bit different of what we're talking about just uh, like farmers put stuff on their crops mm-hmm. chemicals and herbicides mm-hmm. uh insecticides. insecticides and and that stuff ends up you know, in the groundwater mm-hmm. or in the streams, right? The runoff goes, uh, I don't know, what kind of, does the state have pretty good protections on that or do, do we need better? Because there's, because then when you, when you talk about regulating stuff like that, oh no, the government's going after farmers, right. but it's also like the farmers understand that the water needs to be protected and uh, the people drinking the water understand that as well. Well, it's a great question, Rick. And I will tell you this is that, uh, you know, nitrogen, uh, we have excess nitrogen, in our soil, in particular parts of the state. And the thing is, is that uh, farmers apply nitrogen in order to grow, you know, high quality and big yield corn. And um, the thing is, is that uh, that can be expensive to apply that nitrogen. So uh, I've got legislation and there's efforts underway within the state, something called nitrogen optimization program, which is there's a technology I mean, everything is technology-based now where a farmer can know exactly by looking at the uh, computer model of their farm field to know how much nitrogen in order to apply to that given uh, piece of land in order to uh, make sure that you don't have too much nitrogen in the ground and, and uh, to optimize what, uh, what you're applying so you can still get a good yield. Um, because it's expensive to add 
you know, chemically-based fertilizers or petroleum-based fertilizer to the ground. And at the same time, uh, I don't think any of us want to uh, waste money, and we surely don't want that stuff in our, in our water. I mean, that is something we definitely don't want. Yeah, I feel like Minnesota has some cor- sort of uh, – there's some regulations there on mm-hmm. – they have to build – I don't know if it's called build, but like some kind of system where the runoff doesn't actually get off the fields. But That's those buffer groundwater strips. Groundwater is groundwater. Right. right? That's it's just under, it. It's underwater. That's right. That, that's right. And that's those buffer strips I was just talking with yeah. Kevin about. That's yeah, for, when you the, see the, the rolling hills and you see a field. And right, that's the buffers. Yeah. We want the buffers. But at the same time, like you said, I mean, there is – but it's the groundwater, and we got to be very careful. Does the state need to promote organic farming a little bit more or, or just promote, like, land converted to give help to farmers who, you know, we talk about corn all the time, soy and corn. Right. Uh, you know, and, and we're, I think we're trying to lower the limits or raise the limits of the amount of corn that can go into gasoline to my dad's detriment because I think it ruins your engine, uh, whether that's a car engine or you can't even, you shouldn't even put it in your tractors and stuff like that, your small engines. Um, but man, we just like, we're, we're going to grow well, corn, grow corn. Like we should be growing other stuff, but right. I don't, I don't actually know. Yeah, no. <laughs> and that's a fair point. I know in Iowa, they have a 15% ethanol blend in much of their gasoline. Yeah. That maybe that was, and, maybe it was yeah, Iowa. Iowa has now I, I'm of the point here. Again, I believe in consumer choice. I honestly believe that, you know, and I, I do support, uh, corn based ethanol, but I also recognize the fact that, you know, for our small engines, you know, I, I hear our motorcyclists, I hear those that drive snowmobiles, that uh, for my chainsaw, uh, for my uh, lawnmower, you know, I'm not looking to add any ethanol to that. I mean, right, I you got to put the... Yeah, I want to put the real thing in there. That's right, you got to put the real thing in there, that's right. So, you know, the thing is, is I am all about making sure that we do not mandate one thing or the other. And, um, you know, I've made it clear where I stand on that. Now, Iowa's gone the other direction where they have up to 15% and everything. Because I'm guessing that's not great for cars either. If it's not great for small engines, and I think there's some, like, amount of water that's in, I don't know, like, you'd have to ask my dad. But um, I I don't think more ethanol in our gasoline is is good for even our cars. Yeah, it's, uh, and again, that's that's where the science gets very interesting, and sometimes it just turns into straight politics. Um, but I, I will say this is, um, you know, we have uh, we in Wisconsin, we do have an ethanol blend. There's an ethanol blend that's a mandate uh, from this uh, federal government as well. And um, and, um, you know, we continue to but we're transitioning away, obviously, with electric vehicles. We'll see what happens going forward with something like this. But I do believe we got to have give consumers choices. Oh, that brings that brings me to another yeah. another thing. And I, I don't know if you saw this post. The, the mayor posted this. So essentially, I think the mayor might have a hybrid or an EV. Okay. He might have a hybrid. Okay. But he just posted a $75 charge for people that have hybrids because they're not paying the gas tax. They right? don't pay the gas tax. Um, is there a better way to do that? Is there a better way to fund the roads? Can we just fund the roads without – can we get rid of the gas tax, get rid of – and then, hey, okay, the roads need this much money, and then every year we add that to the budget. Yeah. Just in a, here's the road money. Well, that's, As, I mean, that that's a good question, and I will say this. Right now uh, – Right now, the uh, the majority of the um, uh, roads are funded through the gas tax. And if you were driving a hybrid or a straight electric vehicle, obviously, you're either not paying into the gas tax or because you're not purchasing gasoline, or if you have a hybrid, you're not paying in as much. But you still use the road. And so we've got to figure out what the new funding formula is. Now, I'll be clear with you, Rick. There's very limited ways that you're going to have a funding formula. It's either going to come from your income tax or it's going to come from your sales tax because the state isn't – or it's going to be a fee. 
because uh, the state isn't bringing money in from any other sources. Right. Um, so uh, we will see what happens uh, on that. I will say this is that, you know, we need to make sure we continue to uh, have, you know, roads that, uh, you know, don't have the potholes in them that uh, they currently have. And uh, we got to make yeah, sure. Yeah, it was we Ag Week last week. And yeah. it was that in Wisconsin? Or? It was nationwide. So is, is this week like pothole week? <laughs> we got to be getting, we got to have a pothole oh, week. Oh, boy. There's a lot of them out there, especially in March here, as we discussed. I the mean, state legislatures, you know, while we debate, you know, like the state cheese, the state legislature will demote this uh, pothole week. Oh, and, boy. And we'll just go and fill, it'll be an initiative to fill the potholes. Yeah. The first week of April, have a good time to I do that? Probably. I mean, it really slows traffic down. If people want to talk about traffic going too fast, boy, right now in March, uh, traffic isn't going as very fast. I mean, you want to get so some many potholes. Brad, if you want to get some attention as a state senator. <laughs> go fill potholes? No, but make it a, but propose some legislation <laughs> that says we're going to make this pothole week and oh, we're going to initiative to fill potholes. I, I don't know. I hear you. You want me to be your campaign guy, let me know. <laughs> um, or I'll tell your campaign guy. Um, let's see. What else do I have on this list? I, I did... Oh, it, it went to, okay, so we're not doing, are we just done doing state cheese? We're not going to do that. I hope we don't do that. I okay. mean, we don't need to have a state cheese. I mean, there's, everybody's got their own flavors and stuff like that. We don't need to do that. I mean, I will say this. I think we should have a, uh, uh, if we do a, anything, we need to make sure that uh, people recognize uh, a dipping uh, dipping their oh, see, uh, nachos you're, you're, in the you're, you're trying to transition. Good. Yeah, we we talked about this. So uh, New Mexico is doing state aroma, and it's like burnt chilies or grilled <laughs> chilies or something like that. Uh, do you have an opinion on what the state aroma should be? Because in uh, in our text, in our discussions on the show, uh, campfire smell, uh, the city aroma would be whatever is between the brewery and the and the sewage <laughs> treatment plant. But that wouldn't be a good state aroma. Uh, but although, you know, if you go through like Nakusa, uh, like, uh, like those, those, uh, paper mill oh, plants or whatever yeah. that smell oh, is, um, just the smell of oh, beer, oh, right? Yeah. Like that one, I think a texture said brat and kraut. That would be, I don't know if that aroma, but do you have an opinion? What should uh, I'll tell you a, a big pork roast that's uh, seasoned <laughs> and it's sitting on a smoker. Oh, that smells good. I mean, is that anti-Wisconsin? Would it have to be some kind of cow roast though? Ah, it- I like my pork roast. I mean, I absolutely love that seasoned up. Mm, especially. Somebody, somebody told me we were talking about cheese, the state cheese. They said, uh, and, and my girlfriend's sister, when they go back to Cleveland, they steal all the cheese. What, do you remember what the cheese was? The texture? I can't find the text. Uh, Limburger cheese. Limburger. Someone brought up to you. Bring, bring for the, those that haven't had Limburger cheese, I'll tell you, that is something, A, the taste is very unique, but the smell. The smell. Oh, the smell. So you don't want that in your car for an no, eight-hour trip home? Absolutely not. Do not put it in your luggage and then fly home. <laughs> and because uh, I'll tell you, your whole suitcase, everything, all your clothes, it will have quite a smell. Is seventy-five dollars a lot for somebody that owns an EV to pay for a year? I have no idea what. No, like I, how much am I paying in gas tax on a on a tank of gas? If I'm paying thirty bucks in gas, is a gas tax like five cents a gallon? Or oh no, oh no. Way you're, more than paying, you're paying point. about 26 cents federal, and I think you're paying over 33 cents state. So when you buy the EV and you pay 70, I'm guessing that's in a year, right. $75 right. a year. And, and you and I, uh, we, you know, I have a gas engine vehicle, my Ford, and, um, you know, I have to pay a registration fee. Yeah. Now you still pay a registration fee, but then also you pay that extra seventy-five dollar charge. Seventy-five. But you're probably still in the long run saving way more money by not, if you, especially if it's a total EV, yeah, by I, not paying any of the gas tax. Yeah, if you're, it depends on yeah, how many miles you put on a car. This will be a dilemma down the road if we transition to EVs. You know, we're seventy-five percent of the cars are EVs. The state I, is really going to be messy. A, EVs are heavier. B, 
uh, nobody's paying the gas tax anymore, right? Like, yeah, no, a- we have a real funding, and the federal government does too. Let's not forget that the federal government uses the, uh, its for- portion of the federal gas tax in order to uh, help pay for um, you know transportation spending. All right, I looked at the time. We've got to take one more break. All right, welcome back to the Lacrosse Talk. I'm just going to wrap up here with Wisconsin State Senator Brad Paff. Um, you got a budget listening session, you and Steve Doyle. So Assembly Rep. Steve Doyle, uh, just north of Lacrosse. Yeah, in West Salem, next Monday night, April 3rd, 530 to 6.30 p.m. The West Salem Public Library. The West Salem Public and Library. What, when people come to that, what should they... Come on Are out. they going to listen to you or bring... No. What, what no. kind of questions should they have? No, you come and you sh- they share their thoughts. Uh, my mom taught me early, Brad, you have two ears and one mouth. It's time to listen. And uh, anything that they want to talk about, as far as uh, public school funding, roads, uh, we've got uh, Medicaid, a seven, we've got a $7, $7 billion, billion dollar budget, budget surplus, uh, talk about jobs, uh, economic development, small business, whatever they're interested in, uh, it's my job. 